0: Welcome to Organic Sexuality, where we explore the restoration of pleasure, the reclamation of sexual sovereignty, and the realization of our embodied sexual nature. An invitation to honor the pleasures of your body by embodying the pleasures of your nature. I'm your host, Rahi Chan. I'm a certified somatic sex educator, a sexological body worker and creator of Somatic Sexual Wholeness. Before getting into today's podcast episode, I'd like to share about a new online experience I'm facilitating. The Three Keys to Genital Dearmoring for Reclaiming and Expanding Pleasure. An experiential course for releasing chronic guarding patterns within the tissues and fascia of the genitalia to restore and expand your body's organic pleasure sensations for health and intimacy. Details can be found at Somatic Sexual Wholeness. Mykajabi.com. Andre Lazarus is a Somatica Sex and Intimacy Coach, a sexual surrogate, and sacred intimate. He shares the distinctions in scope of practice, boundaries, and common sexual issues resolved that he facilitates in each of these roles. It's a unique soul that's drawn to hold space for any one of these sexual healing modalities, and an extraordinary life's purpose to develop a realm of expertise in all three. I'm really excited today to be inviting Andre Lazarus to the podcast. Uh, Andre is a very dynamic, special, embodied human soul that I've been getting to know in this last year. Um, I just think it's really special that he's on our planet doing the work, the sacred work that he's doing. Um, Let me share a little bit about Andre. Uh, He's a somatic intimacy guide, and within that, Uh, encompasses so much. Um, He comes from a family of healthcare practitioners and has always had a sense of service, having served in the military and the Marines as a young man. And after a marriage and consensual non-monogamous relationships, Andre learned he has a natural gift for removing shame around sexual explorations, helping to open up sexual desires, and healing old wounds around abuse and trauma. He has since been certified as a somatica, sex and intimacy coach, a sexual surrogate, uh, as well as a sacred intimate. And we'll get into all of these and the distinctions. Um, His journey of taking ownership of his own sexual power and authenticity involved his realization that he is multisexual and serves to empower others, singles, couples, uh, to realize their authentic sexual truth and embodied sexual power.
1: Andre, I'm so happy that you're here joining us today. I'm happy to be here, Rahi. Thank you for the beautiful introduction.
0: What were some of the key influences, um, either in challenges or breakthroughs or realizations that you feel like have informed your um, really embodying and owning your sexual truth today?
1: There's so many moments, just as you were asking that kind of two-part question. So many moments in my life that i found were pivotal in my discovery. Mm. And I mean, we could talk for like, a, a, I don't know, a day or two just on the totally. origin of me. <laughs> so i right, right. all of that. Um, but I, I can kind of do a quick background, just kind of where I came from and um, mm. growing up younger, uh, I felt like I had a huge capacity in my heart for loving multiple people, multiple genders. And while when you're young and you're in those like, you know, five to seven year old, like years, you have sometimes multiple girlfriends, multiple boyfriends, maybe both. Mm -hmm. And there's this idea that parents say, oh yeah, it's a phase. It's something that Mm -hmm. you just do when you're that age and you grow out of that. And looking back now, I realize I don't think I ever grew out of that. And I feel it was such a big part of my earlier understanding of my capacity and understanding for connection and love. So that's where it really started when I was like having all of these beautiful connections. And, you know, obviously when you're that young, you're not fully understanding what sexuality is and what that manifests like, but just being close to individuals wanting Mm. to share their experiences, share my experiences with them started Mm. very young. And, as I got older, in my teens, in my 20s, I was really starting to understand that it was just f- a fundamental part of who I was. It mm-hmm. wasn't a phase. It wasn't something that I felt like was not like instilled within me. And I think mm-hmm. I fought it quite a bit, actually. Um, Mm -hmm. as I was dating, you know, individual, mostly women, because Mm -hmm. as a young man, understanding that there was this possibility of loving multiple genders, multiple people just wasn't Mm -hmm. something I was taught. It wasn't something we were Mm -hmm. taught in school and my Mm -hmm. parents, while they loved me and they provided a landscape of understanding sexuality, understanding relationships, Not really constricting me on what I could do or who I could Mm -hmm. see, but also their knowledge was limited on understanding open relationships, these different Mm. types of um, sexual um, orientations. So Mm. a lot of it was self discovery and my Mm -hmm. own education of where do I go from here. And uh, honestly, I feel like I didn't have the, I didn't have the, like greatest role models when it came to relationships in my teens, and my twenties, it was the friends around you. And mm-hmm. in that I realized I had to go deeper into myself and into my yeah. own self exploration, because if no one else was going to guide me, I had to guide myself. So right. fast forward now into my late thirties, almost 40 um, mm-hmm. through these different trainings that you mentioned through mm-hmm. mentorship, through my mm-hmm. beautiful, um, consensual non-monogamous relationship with my partner of nine years mm-hmm. that puts me where I am today. And mm-hmm. those, some of those pivotal moments were some deep shadow work, understanding mm-hmm. the aspects of me that I Needed maybe some psychedelic <laughs> help mm. to fully comprehend, mm-hmm. and I mm-hmm. still do go into mm-hmm. those practices, but um, that 's really how I have shaped where um, where I currently am through my own self knowledge and then also the people around me that i 've chosen to help guide me on my journey. Mm-hmm
0: hmm. Beautiful, beautiful.
1: Yeah. I mean,
0: it's so cool that you have really maintained that nature that you so reveled and, and loved and came so organic to you as a kid of just loving indiscriminately. You know, it's like yeah. everybody uh, comes in different genders and forms and, and you just had a love for everyone. And it's, it's so great that you uh, were able to. Keep in contact and and be in touch with that nature um, you know on your website um, coming closercom closer dot com in your bio, you share about a, a a violation that happened when you were nineteen and you described it as being um, fortunate or unfortunate you know <laughs> i i I'd, I'd love to know um wh- how why you describe it that way and what your journey was because I'm guessing the journey to healing uh, from that violation has really informed your sensitivity and understanding with clients because so many of our kind of mainstream population and certainly the clients we serve um, are healing from, from past traumas and, and by specifically yeah. violations.
1: Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. I'm happy to share. Um, and like to your question around like, when I say fortunate or unfortunate, why I use both, because in my body, in my understanding of consent, of a healthy dynamic between one, two, or multiple individuals, um, there is a desire for safety, a desire for connection, a desire to be able to feel comfort in the physical, emotional, spiritual, intimacy mm. bond. And yes. I say unfortunate because when there is a violation, as, as um, you mentioned, and in my violation, I was, um, I was raped for my first um, penetrative sexual experience by a woman. That it's unfortunate that that occurred for me, or that occurs with anyone. Mm-hmm. That I believe there is a, a place where, with enough education, with enough knowledge around how to understand someone's sovereignty in their body, that we can work to prevent and maybe might be very idealist of me, but eradicate you know non consensual acts such as mm-hmm. this, but it happened. It was mm-hmm. something that took place. So that's what was unfortunate. I say fortunate because we were talking earlier about those pivotal moments in lot in my life. I feel like it spawned everything and every element of who I am today mm-hmm. in my understanding of my own sexuality, of my Mm -hmm. understanding of how I interact with my partner, with lovers, Mm -hmm. with clients. Uh And sometimes it takes moments of tragedy and moments of unfortunate events to really light a fire in our discovery of ourselves. And that, that really really ignited me and mm-hmm. that's why I was fortunate because i don't know where where i would be today or how i would be possibly interacting with people if that didn't occur to me yes there might have been more moments in life where i would have had awakenings and possibly my own like um times where I could have been that perpetrator just from, again, the knowledge that we're given specifically as men in how we interact with women. Mm-hmm. There's not really a lot of education around that. So no. I, I could have been in more precarious situations myself. So that's why I say fortunate because it provided the landscape of Learning and unlearning, and really mm. catapulted me into the work that I do today.
0: Yes, yes, <clears throat> it's beautiful. Um, yeah, thank you for sharing all of that, Andre. Um, it's really clear how it was unfortunate. Um, because it is traumatic to the body to be forced into something that it's non-consensual and, uh, it's really informed your journey sense and the space that you're able to hold the sensitivity that you do bring to, and really, you know, it's kind of a wisdom that the body, uh, could only have from experiencing something, um, that, that you know, you can now have such compassion and empathy and understand how to hold space to resolve that in other bodies. So let's get to, um, I don't think I've ever met someone who's a somatica practitioner, a sexual surrogate, and a sacred intimate. You know, it's, it's quite the trifecta. Um, <laughs> I, for our audiences who who don't know the distinctions of the three, I would love to I mean, I have so many questions about all three. Did becoming a somatica practitioner pique your curiosity about becoming a sexual surrogate? And then you realized, oh, I'm limited here, so I want to be a sacred intimate. Like, first of all, let's, if you could just define (laughs) for our listeners and distinguish like the parameters and differences of each of those three. And then, part two, if you can kind of describe what led you to becoming trained in
1: each. Sure. So I think I'll answer the second part first, um, just to keep it, keep all of the pieces together yeah. in my mind. Cool. Um, and as you said, I mean, we could have an entire podcast just speaking on one of these elements rather totally. than, and so um happy to come back and, and dive yeah. deeper. I believe the sacred intimate work um, has been, and at least as right now in my mind will always be, the most sacred piece and the most important aspect of the work that I do. And also Mm. the work that I've been doing the longest. Um, I was doing that work before it was actually work before I was actually getting paid for this. work. Mm. So during that journey in this sacred intimacy, this bonding that I was um, having with, lovers friends and now you know with clients as well i was wanting just more knowledge around ways to interact with individuals and different therapeutic modalities and Mm. a friend turned me on to um, the somatica institute um, which is where i received my certification for uh, somatica um, informed uh, coaching and during that time, while I was in Somatica, someone mentioned surrogate partner therapy. So I mm. I actually didn't know much about surrogate partner therapy until I was, you know almost finished with my time at somatica. And then, as I was, and this will go into the first part, and as I was mm. thinking about the work that I do, realizing that, everyone is at a different point in their journey and everyone's yes. going to have a different comfort level on how deep they can or possibly will go with a practitioner so that's why as i was thinking about somatica um like somatic coaching my sacred intimate work and then uh surrogate partner therapy i realized they all have their unique offering and yet they all also kind of coexist on the same realm of what is intimate connection to oneself and others. Mm-hmm. So that is kind of the the journey. Mm-hmm. And then the difference in the three. So I'll start with somatic coaching. So somatic coaching um, can be done virtual. It can be in person. And these are sessions with a single individual with couples with, you know, multiple people in a dynamic. I know we've mentioned mm. single and couples, but there's mm-hmm. a lot of open relationships that have many other definitions and also many other number of people. So mm. in that it's an embodied way, a somatic embodied mm-hmm. embodied way of learning how to connect with one's intimacy to themselves Uh and others Uh and working through various goals that clients might be coming to me with. And it's a hands-on, it can be Uh with consent, Uh hands-on experiential coaching. So Uh while we will talk about things, we will also put them into practice and I, mm-hmm. as the practitioner, might interact with um, the client or clients, or I mm-hmm. might provide techniques and tools for those individuals to practice on themselves or with others as well. With Somatica, with through that training, there are limitations in how far physically you can go with clients. Um, clothes will stay on. There's no uh, kissing or... Um, touching of certain erogenous zones. Which include the genitalia, correct? Yes. Yes. Which has a beautiful place for certain clients who have Mm. boundaries on what they feel like they can go into with a practitioner, which Mm. is why I enjoy having that offering because it allows space for people to start their journey or go as far as they need to in order Mm -hmm. to help with their healing journey that they're on with the limitations and bounds of what is that, that particular offering. Mm -hmm. And then I'll talk about um, surrogate partner therapy. So Mm -hmm. I was trained through um, IPSA and IPSA is based out of Los Angeles And, uh, Dr. Vena Blanchard is the primary trainer for that offering. And with surrogate partner therapy, there is a triadic relationship that occurs between the client, the therapist that the Mm -hmm. client is seeing, and then the surrogate partner who is, that's my position in, in the triad. Mm -hmm. So with this, the client has to still be connected to and seeing their therapist um, while also seeing me as a surrogate partner. If for some Mm. reason the client no longer wants to see the therapist, then we would have to pause our our work together until they found Mm. another therapist to fill in the triangle. And this is very much an in-person offering, um, in-person therapy. It's very much geared towards sex education, helping individuals work through, um, certain dysfunctions, uh, Mm -hmm. shame, trauma. Mm -hmm. And, um, it's, uh, it's something I also hold near and dear to my heart when it comes to Mm -hmm. how I work with people and Mm -hmm. also fits in a certain, Realm for uh, clients that feel comfortable mm-hmm. going into a certain space. And in mm-hmm. that space, it goes beyond the bounds of what would be somatic coaching. Mm-hmm. Yet, there is also, still in my experience, certain limitations to where that work can go and also mm-hmm. how often that work can happen. Um, mm-hmm. So, that's where sacred intimacy comes in. And sacred intimacy is. Can, yeah. can I just
0: ask you to specify what you what what are those uh, limitations with sexual surrogacy work that you just alluded to?
1: Yeah, so I feel with um, it's more it's more the realm of what the work is and mm-hmm. the certain clinical fashion that um, Mm -hmm. surrogate partner therapy is offered. So there's more of a structure to it. Mm -hmm. And also the individuals who would be seeking out surrogate partner therapy might not be, and I can go more into it when I talk about sacred intimacy, might not Mm -hmm. be best suited for sacred intimate work because Mm -hmm. of where they're at on their journey. For instance, someone going to, um, a surrogate partner might mm-hmm. be someone who is a very late in life virgin who also might have a lot of trauma around serious, so uh, uh, Siri, serious, picking up our, our conversation. Um, <laughs> it's a threesome. <laughs> I think, yeah. <laughs> I like that. Thank you. Siri. Yeah. Um, so in that there's, um, Certain individuals that I've worked with that have taken sometimes weeks, if not more than a couple months before they felt comfortable even allowing me the opportunity to touch them, like touch their shoulder, touch their mm-hmm. hand. And mm. their goal might be to get to a place where they can have a fully embodied um, penetrative experience with a partner or a future partner. So, obviously, that's going to take a lot of time to get to that. So, Uh where that differs and where there's limitations is in sacred intimate work, there's more place for individuals who have perhaps maybe a little bit stronger of a grasp on feeling comfort in touch, feeling comfort Uh in going into an intimate space, because Uh with my sacred intimate work at least the way it's structured, these are, um, full day overnight sessions. So Mm -hmm. also embodied similar to surrogate partner therapy. However, if I'm going to be working with someone for a day or a night, then it wouldn't make sense. And it wouldn't be the best to their best interest if they are still unable to even allow myself to like physically touch them to spend time with me in that in that offering so that's why i found all three of these to be so beneficial because as i mentioned with people at varying levels of their journey i also can provide my experience my input on where I feel they might best be suited. So mm-hmm. while sacred intimacy is where I do most of my work, um, mm-hmm. there are individuals that are more suited for surrogate partner therapy. There are more, there are individuals yeah. who are more suited for somatic coaching and mm-hmm. eventually they might want to you know, stretch or go deeper into what their limitations were, and then be able to go into varying levels. But generally, once a client is in a certain bucket of either being a surrogate partner, client, a sacred intimate client, or a coaching client, most of the time, that's where they'll stay. There are times Mm -hmm. where a sacred intimate client could move into what is coaching Or a surrogate partner client over time might move into a sacred intimate client. But Mm. generally, they'll stay kind of within those realms.
0: Mm -hmm. Okay, great. Yeah, thanks for that um, very clear distinction. So, you know, what's really wonderful is you kind of, you're kind of offering the full spectrum of, you know, what a client may need. And, you know, from close on, uh, but body based, you know, um, experiential uh, experiences, so the body gets new imprints of what's possible, you know, kind of creating new uh, stories in their body, you know, all the way to sacred intimacy, where, um, you know, it can be full on fulfilling a fantasy, or I mean, there there aren't that kind of limitations. So it's really a full, full spectrum. Um, but yeah. what's, in common with all three is they're all somatic. They're all body based. They're all about creating new imprints uh, somatically so that it replaces the old stories, whether it's replacing old trauma patterns or creating new uh, imprints of behaviors uh, to empower them. Um, Yes. I want to ask you, Andre in regards to sacred intimacy um, are there, are there any boundaries or parameters, uh, that you, that you have, does it depend on the client? Um, like how does that work as for Cause I'm sure people are wondering, wow, yeah. you know, it's, <laughs> it's a free for all, you know, like there's you know, this is great, mm-hmm. but are there boundaries and, uh, parameters that you have? Is it based on the client? And if you can describe your screening process. Um, sure. You you know, regarding your clients. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I'm happy to share that. Um, first to answer your question, yes, there are boundaries. There are always going to be some form of boundary, um, not just for the client, but also myself. Like there Mm -hmm. are things that I feel very equipped and skilled at to provide. And then there will Mm -hmm. be things that someone might bring to me and I might suggest that there might be someone else more suited for them Mm -hmm. in whatever their pursuit is. Um, Mm -hmm. And I do that not to, not to um, push clients away or to ever judge what a client might be desiring. But I also am aware that I'm a human being and I have my knowledge base. And when I feel as if someone might be in need of something more than I can offer, or looking for a certain skill set that I might not be masterful in, I mm-hmm. feel very confident in being honest in that. So, mm-hmm. for instance, I might work. I often bring in uh, Shibari Kimbaku mm-hmm. to my work as a sacred mm-hmm. intimate, and I also realize my limitations that I am not a skilled rigger in suspension. So if Mm. someone wanted to come to me and say, "I I am desiring this very tightly held, nurturing, embodied experience of being fully wrapped in multiple rope, suspended on high, I would say I have limitations in what I can offer you. And Mm. I know other individuals who might be better suited to provide this for you. So that's just an example. But when it comes Mm. to screening, um, I also want to make sure that the individual who I'm working with has a good grasp and understanding of what boundaries are Mm
0: -hmm. and
1: can communicate to me that they understand Mm. that there can be a yes and a no when it comes to the way that they would interact with someone else or me. Um, mm-hmm. It's it's a fundamental um, vetting that I do because I want to make sure that this person understands that they have complete and utter control in the experience that we will be going into. That right. even if in the experience I am called upon to be this dominant individual holding the space of a submissive who's surrendering to my will. And that Mm -hmm. is the desire in their healing journey. I -hmm. still want to make sure that they understand just how much power they have Mm -hmm. actually the ultimate power to say no, to stop something when they no longer feel safe or feel like they can, um fully like understand what's what's happening to their body to their psyche I've been with a client who um had a full blown psychedelic experience completely mm. unaltered with any substances i i I don't work with any substances in my work uh-huh. so but they still had a psychedelic experience so uh-huh. I had to rather than continue on in the journey that i was doing with them in a physical space i had to switch my focus to grounding to bringing them back to a place where they felt safe in their body where they felt like they were had control and while they found this psychedelic experience to be beautiful and th- they didn't want to, <laughs> they they didn't want to like stop or to slow down it was a judgment call for me to say this was something that was um, I wanted to make sure we were still on board on the same page. Vetting and screening is um, essential with (laughs) anyone I work with. And I feel very, um, I feel very confident to say that I have turned down clients because what they were desiring was something that was outside the bounds of what I could offer or Mm. that, there might be someone else better suited to provide them that healing, that healing work.
0: Yeah, that's really, really clear. Um, so what, what I'm hearing Andre is that, um, not only do you want to make sure that your skills and services are aligned to meet their intention and their desire, but you want to also for your safety and for theirs, make sure that they have the capacity to really, um, assert, their voice and their boundaries and consent during a session. Absolutely. Um, You know, you've, you've shared your, your intake form with me and it's incredibly thorough Um, and it's, it's really fascinating and fun. I mean, it's a great questionnaire for every, for anyone to go through, you know, to kind of like (laughs) really inquire about their deepest desire, about their deepest uh, curiosity and explorations. But uh, yeah, within that you have a really, really clear picture of um what their intention is and what their capacity is and and what they're looking for. Um you know thank you for saying that yeah no I was I was very impressed it was really cool.
1: I also Um, want to say Rahi that you also I I am a constant student. I am always learning. Mm -hmm. I'm always trying to understand ways to better connect with individuals in this work and you provided some really great feedback in that form, which I have gone ahead and actually um, modified certain questions Mm. in that form. Um, So thank you for your help. And um, I share that so people understand that this isn't something that I just, I have a blueprint of what I do with every client. And it's this methodical phased approach It Mm -hmm. is unique to everyone that I work with and I am always re-looking at the way that I am working with someone to include the way that I'm gathering information. So um, you're a big part of that. So thank you for looking at that form.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah, you're so welcome. I was happy to do that. Yeah, it's important that we support each other in this work for sure. Um, Absolutely. Every client is so incredibly unique because every you know, every embodied soul's sexual history is so, so unique. You know, this may seem like a weird question, but I, I, you know, I feel like so much of what we do is very, very, it's like dropping into the space of listening for what wants to happen. Um, Like what's moving energetically. And I, I wondered whether, you know, people who are called to this work, it's, it's such a unique calling. Apart from growing up in a family of healthcare practitioners, Andre, and your own personal journey, do you have a sense of like past life, sacred intimate, like that kind of a thing? Have you ever explored that? Because it is such a unique calling. Mm. A sacred calling. I think it's a yeah. it's yeah. An incredibly um you know, it's incredible honor and privilege, but it is such a sacred calling.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I I'm glad that you brought that up because the first, the short answer is not enough. I have mm-hmm. not explored it enough. And it's something that I absolutely believe in. It's something that mm-hmm. I recall through dream, through more deep in psychedelic exploration that mm-hmm. there are many versions of me that came before me and perhaps are, you know, living, you know, alternate lives in my current present. Mm-hmm. Um, and I I have a sense that there is some aspect of healer protector that mm-hmm. has been a part of my journey. Um, mm-hmm. And there's still a lot that I could probably go deeper into in that discovery. Mm-hmm. And I just haven't mm-hmm. had time or, or a thought to go into that, but you're not the first person to, to ask that. And Mm -hmm. which means that it might be, it might be that time for me to like, really, Mm -hmm. really go deep into that intentionally.
0: Mm. Yeah, that would be really um, fascinating. And, you know, I would, I, I would like to presume even more insightful and empowering to really understand the lineage you know, whether it's cosmological or genealogical that, you know, like you're, you're following a lineage of sacred sexual healers. And that's really powerful. I mean, it goes back to, you know, the time of Jesus and beyond. Um, you know, it was an ayahuasca experience for me in Peru that, uh, guided me to this path. And since Mm -hmm. then, um, you know different psychedelic experiences have definitely kind of sh- shown glimpses of 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 that powerful lineage that you know that we are very privileged to to follow amazing Andre, I wanted to ask you because i you know I'm thinking listeners here are really you know learning about being a sacred intimate, sexual surrogacy, somatica coach. I'm guessing some are wondering. How do you navigate keeping your emotional boundaries, right? It's so probably a common question, but how do you navigate, you know, mm-hmm. keeping your emotional boundaries with clients and with your mm-hmm. personal relationship? Yeah. Uh, Has it been a journey? Has Is it pretty clear? Has it been clear from the beginning? Has oh. it been like a navigation through the years?
1: I can say... Yeah, I say very like as I think about it, it's been very clear for me in my journey. Doesn't mean that it doesn't come with its challenges and hmm. times of understanding and questioning, but the way that I describe it and I'm also learning on how to best describe this. I hmm. I tell my partner that I am I speak much better in the language of body connection than I do with my words. Um I wouldn't mm. say I'm the the greatest wordsmith in the world. That's definitely her um her mantle, but the way that I connect with people, the way that I just um in general, but then mm. how I am able to understand and and vary the ways that I connect with my partner, vice lovers, vice clients, and being able to, in a way, co- compartmentalize those yes. aspects of my life, yes, um, has, in a way, felt quite natural to me. Mm. And I say that as as humbly as I can. And still, there's just an understanding of certain societal like views on what this work is Mm -hmm. and also how we connect with whoever our primary partner is and who we connect, how we connect with lovers and the Mm -hmm. different like nuances in between all of that. So Mm -hmm. while I might have a understanding and a grasp on the way that I'm able to manage the way that I connect and feel emotion and feel physical, um, just physical adoration for Mm -hmm. varying levels of individuals. In some view, someone might see the way that I am or the way that I interact as, you know, not fully like understanding every aspect of what it's like to be someone who interacts with me. So while Mm. I might feel like I have a grasp on all of the different varying forms of um, my intimate connection, someone might see it as being uncaring or someone Mm. might see it as perhaps, you know, not fully, um, fully allowing myself to let go into love, into connection that in a way I'm holding back in order to make sure that I keep these components where they're at. So I, while I understand that piece, when I share that, when I am with someone, whether it be my partner, a lover, a client, and this is why I'm, I'm always trying to find the best way to communicate this, but mm-hmm. there is nothing else that exists in that moment except for mm-hmm. that person. And when that moment concludes, I am able to shift my energy and focus to create a new moment with someone else where they are the only person in that moment. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that's why I'm so good at what I do because it's not a game for me. It's not a, it's not a performance Mm-hmm. When I am connected to that person, whether mm-hmm. it be in work or in life, everything else stops. Mm-hmm. And it's just them.
0: Mm-hmm. I get that. I so get that. You know, it feels to me like I'm reminded of what you described um, your experiences as a child, really love. I mean, you're like your your nature is to love. And it sounds to me like your language is really around tactile, sensate experiences, you know, of your whole body, uh, as well as um, intimate connection. That is your language. It's like the music that you're here, that your body is here to play. And I can totally understand how the compartmentalization. It's almost like second nature. It just happens. It's like your your yes. your your being knows what the nature of this dynamic is. And it's not like you're holding back, you're fully present, but it's, it's, it's within this, um, understanding of what the dynamic is, 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 uh, is all about.
1: Absolutely. And, and, but it's still, it's still sometimes tough for people to fully understand and comprehend. And mm -hmm. while I would say a younger version of myself felt a responsibility to explain or over-explain that, Mm. that understanding so that people Mm -hmm. just got it. Um, Mm -hmm. I've also just, as I grow older, as I gain more wisdom from those around me, from my support network, I also realize it's not my responsibility that I can only provide as much information as I can, but Mm -hmm. it's not my job to convince anyone to understand or believe the words that mm-hmm. are coming out of my mouth or the emotions that I'm feeling. And all that I can really do is believe in myself and hope that others will, that'll be okay. That the, they'll just, sure. they'll take what I say as um, as my truth. So yeah, um, while that's why I say it's it's sometimes easier said than done to explain, but actually living it, actually feeling mm. it, it mm. comes very naturally to me. Awesome. Awesome.
0: You know, by the way, at, you know, earlier when you were talking about the shibari, you know, and the intricate, you know, tying up that you do, and I, I was really getting turned on, man. That that sounds <laughs> juicy.
1: Oh, <No, laughs> thank you for sharing that first. And yeah. it is, it is. It's a beautiful, um, it's a beautiful element of what I put under the umbrella of bondage, so, um, mm. I, I, also in my work specifically in sacred intimacy, I definitely work in the elements of the BDSM realm and, mm. uh, bondage is a big one of that. And while shibari kimbaku is only one way that you can, you know, constrict someone's movement, um, there's a lot, I mean, you don't even need it. You don't even need rope. You don't need, need right. a tool. These right here, your hands are enough Mm. to pin someone's arms against a wall to allow them to feel what it's like to push against someone else constricting them. But Mm. then when you're able to release and show them just how much power they have, Mm -hmm. it can be a healing moment in itself. So you you Mm. don't actually even need rope. To create a yeah. really beautiful healing um bondage experience. But uh mm. Shibari is is an art. It's an art form. It and is an art. It's gorgeous. Yeah, there's so many people around the world who are so talented in it. Um mm. so I'm that's a skill set that I'm continually growing and learning in and wanting to just understand more myself.
0: Cool. Cool. Field trip to Japan, man. Yeah. Yeah, let's right. go. <laughs> yeah, right on, right on. Um Andre, lastly, I I want to ask you this and it may seem like a um a simple question, but I'd love your perspective because I feel like you really have such a evolved and and positive view on our sexual natures and empowerment and embodiment. What is your vision for like a healthy sexual society? <laughs>
1: Man, you're just tossing those easy questions there, I right? um. Yeah, yeah, it's a huge one, it's a huge one. I mean,
0: because you've, you've touched on so much, you know, because we've, we've, we've kind of like, you know, this theme of breaking through our societal, parental, religious conditioning has been a theme. Um, yeah. And, you know, certainly the heteronormative kind of, you know, rigid structure of our society, that's a theme. But in your kind of ideal vision of a healthy sexual society, I'm just I'm just curious what 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 that would look like.
1: Yeah. And I've thought about this and people have Mm. asked me similar questions. And the first thing that comes to mind is a society that allows for each individual person to have their own their own journey, their own yes. exploration. You, and mm-hmm. I could go like super deep into that and where that could go, but just having compassion to know that what someone else is doing in their life, I might not fully understand and it might not make mm-hmm. sense to me but I'm going to celebrate them and say, Mm -hmm. I'm glad that you are finding joy in your exploration. Mm -hmm. So that's what I envision. I envision where there we've removed this idea of judgment or shame around Mm -hmm. practices. And that can, you know, there is a, there's a gray area there. There are certain ways that, individuals might be practicing certain desire or wants that might be or seem in like certain society unhealthy or dangerous and just like anything in the world there's you know it's important to keep an eye on um Mm -hmm. on the way that we're interacting with people but as long Mm -hmm. as you're not hurting anyone right and you're you're being conscious of the The exploring that you're doing, then Mm -hmm. um, who's to say what is right or wrong?
0: Right, right. So, really, really honoring each embodied soul's unique and specific truth, and however their sexuality wants to be explored and expressed. Absolutely. I mean,
1: let's, it's next to fishing and farming, Mm -hmm. sexuality is the oldest profession in the history of what we know as human civilization
0: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> yes indeed well uh i'm glad you chose this rather than fishing or farming <laughs> andre
1: <laughs> me too i'm not really good at either of the
0: others so. <laughs> yeah me neither me neither so uh you know it was a good option uh andre <laughs> yeah. thank you so much for uh just sharing your experiences for sharing yourself and for most of all sharing your purpose and your um, service in the world. Um, mm-hmm. Andre Lazarus's website is coming closer.com and we'll have it in the links. Um, and dude, this was
1: great. Thank you so much. Thank you, Rahi, and thank you for all the work that you do. And I know that we were interviewing me, but you're also someone who is providing such a beautiful healing space to so many. And you've been, you've been doing it longer than I have, so I, I definitely see you as a mentor in, in my work as well.
0: How is this podcast episode landing in your body right now. Feeling into your body's sexual authenticity and truth, are there ways you would like to support its most honest expression, embodiment, and experience? What might these be for you? How would it be to consider receiving the support of a somatica coach, sexual surrogate, sacred intimate, or sexological body worker? Links to each of these professions with directories of practitioners can be found in the show notes. Stay healthy, stay sexy, and stay true. And until next time, take good care.